Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the spring and summer, we're going to be doing a sermon series called Through a Mirror Darkly. The idea behind this series is that we will look at various themes that are universal to the human experience. Each week, we will take a different theme and examine a single or several different stories from the Facebook blog, Humans of New York. I hope you enjoy. Our first reading is from Proverbs 1, verses 2 through 7. For learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young, let the wise also hear and gain in learning and the discerning acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. First Kings 10, 1 to 7 and 23 to 24. When the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, fame due to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. When the queen of Sheba had observed all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his valets, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. So she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your accomplishments and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. Not even half had been told to me. Your wisdom, wisdom and prosperity far surpassed the report that I had heard. Thus King Solomon excelled all, excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. The whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. This is the word of the Lord. So during the spring, what's left of it, and summer, which is still going to be spring, it seems like, uh, we are going to be doing a sermon series called Through a Mirror Darkly. And this sermon series is based on themes that are universal to the human experience. And so each week, what we are doing is we are looking at stories from the Facebook blog, Humans of New York, that was created by Brandon Stanton. If you haven't been here for the last couple weeks and you don't know who that is, you can go back and watch those sermons, because I can't tell you all about him. That's a whole history behind him. Uh, so go take a look at that if you don't know what I'm talking about. But essentially, we're going to look at these stories. We're going to hear the interviews, and you'll see them up on the screen, and they'll be narrated by members of our congregation. And what's interesting about these stories is that they are very different from what we are used to hearing in our lives. When you look at these stories, they're going to be very different experiences from what you've been through. In that way, it will be like looking through a mirror darkly, because even though it won't be your exact experience, there will be something behind it that you have been through. And so the hope is that by looking at these experiences, you can dig down deep and find something important to you that can push you in the direction of living more towards God's will of what we're talking about for today. So, I want that. I want to turn to our story for today from Humans of New York. 
My father is a surgeon in Pakistan. One day, when I was in ninth grade, he picked me up from school and told me that we needed to check on one of his patients before going home. When we got to the hospital, he asked me if I wanted to come inside. I told him I'd rather wait in the car, but he insisted. There was a woman lying in bed. My father had removed a tumor from her face, and then he'd reconstructed the bone to repair the damage. As soon as the woman saw my father, she started crying and kissing his hand. She'd already paid for the surgery, yet she was still that grateful. She acted as if he'd given her new life. That was the day I decided I wanted to go into medicine. At the end of my senior year, I took some advanced level entry exams from Cambridge University. They are very difficult and very important. When the exam scores came in, my friend called me and told me that the principal was looking for me. My father was sitting next to me. He saw my face and asked me what was wrong. I think I did very poorly, I told him, because the principal is looking for me. He told me that he would come to her office with me to support me. When we got there, there was a huge line of students waiting to get their scores, but the principal called me in. She told me I was one of three students in the school to get all A's. My father was so nervous when I came out, and when I told him, he hugged me so hard that I could tell he was trying not to cry. He was so happy, he took all the money out of his wallet, handed it to the security guard, and told him to pass it out to everyone in line. It was the happiest moment of my life. My mother died when I was two years old, so it's just me and my father. He's been really angry with me lately. He's always wanted me to be an engineer like him, but I switched my major to photography. He didn't show any emotion when I told him. He always has a poker face, but I know that he's angry from the little things. He never asked me to go shopping with him anymore. We used to go to the market together. He'd pick up a watermelon, inspect it, and then hand it to me for my opinion on it. It doesn't sound like much, but I really valued that time together. But once I changed my major, he stopped asking me to come along. But I think things are getting better. Recently, I scored in the top fifth percentile on the university entrance exam for photography. When I told my father, he didn't show any emotion. But the next day, he asked me if I wanted to go shopping. And that made me so happy, because it's just the two of us. And I really, 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 really love him. I started working in the fields when I was five. After that, I worked construction for 30 years. Eight years ago, I was between jobs and I wanted to do something useful, so I started going to school. It took me eight years to get through middle school because I could only go to classes when work was slow. But I finished with a 9.3 out of 10. Now I'm moving on to high school. The toughest part is algebra. Not sure that I've ever been so honored to introduce someone as I am right now. Gats Filipai is a refugee from the former Yugoslavia. For the past 12 years, he has worked as a janitor for Columbia University. His job title is Heavy Cleaner, which includes emptying the trash and cleaning the toilets. During this time, he has worked until 11 p.m. every night during the week. After his shift concluded, he would start studying. This weekend, after 12 years of study, Gats graduated from Columbia University with a classics degree. Rarely has so many qualities I admire been wrapped up in a single person. All right. So what's 
the theme, the thread that connects all these things together. It is what? Education. Education. We have educators in here? Raise your hand if you are. Okay. So, I think that the beautiful thing about education, particularly in these stories, is how it really changed people's lives for the better. And I think we all know that to be true, right? I mean, here in the United States, one of the things that we tout is that education is the gateway to a better life. If you do well in school, you can get a much better job than you normally would, and it can really improve your standard of living. And I think we all know that, right? I mean, this is something that we are taught from the time we are young. But what I want to talk about today is I actually want to question that philosophy. Because the philosophy that's being put forward by that idea is that the reason why you go to school is to get a job. And I want to talk about where that comes from first, because that's really important. So back in 1918, the U.S. government made public education compulsory. And the reason why they did this is because 1918, that was right after World War I, everybody was coming back, and they noticed that all these people were moving from rural to urban areas. And why they were doing that is because there was all of this industry and there were jobs there. So people start going to this, but these people who were running the industry, they were saying, hey, just so you know, uh, what we need is actually people who have some education. They need some math. They need some English. They need some of these things. And so to keep the economy functional, they decided, you know what we're going to do? We got to make this a uh, compulsory thing. And so they go out and they say every student is going to learn because what the U.S. government wants is they want their citizens to be economically productive. That makes sense, right? The greater our GDP, the more money there is to go around, right? And that means everybody's standard of living improves. Makes sense, right? And this is what we sell to our students all the time, from the time that they're young. My boys are learning this as they grow up, which is that if you do well in school, then you can get into a good college, right? And my son actually recently, we were talking about this last night, he was saying he's figuring out what he wants to do, and he's like, he's trying to figure out what can he do that is going to get him the most money with the least amount of work. Like, that's where, <laughs> that's where he is right now, right? <laughs> so... We are told, like, you go to school, you do well, you get into a good college. You get into a good college, right? You do well there, you're going to get a good job. If you get a good job, you're going to make a lot of money, you're going to be happy. And so the idea is that education is this golden ticket, is it not? That it's a means to an end, but not an end unto itself. And that's the philosophy that I would like to challenge today. Because... As much as this philosophy can produce economic productivity in the short term, which is true, it can, I think it's actually quite destructive to our students and to our society as a whole in the long term. And to parse this out for you, I want to dive into the stories that we heard today from Humans of New York, which are really beautiful stories. I love each of these. I want to start with this guy right here, the guy who uh, was working hard and is studying to become a doctor at Cambridge University. Now, I'm going to tell you all something that I probably should not tell you, particularly because TC is in here right now, and he's going to use it against me later. But I'm going to tell it to you anyway, which is this, that in the United States, Oxford University has the better reputation. And I know that. I went over there, right? But when you get to Oxford, you actually learn something, which is that Oxford is not the best institution in England. Cambridge is by far the best institution in England. You have to be the best of the best to get into Cambridge. 
you have to really be the cream of the crop. So this guy is clearly brilliant. And what does he decide to do? He wants to be a doctor. Now, why does he want to be a physician? Because of who? His father. It's Father's Day, right? And when your father is somebody who you admire, oftentimes you'll want to walk in your father's footsteps. And the story he told is really wonderful, right? He goes in, there's this woman who his father has removed a tumor from her face. He's reconstructed the face on top of that. And she was so grateful to him for that, that his son looked at it and said, that's what I want to do with my life. Now, clearly, this guy's motivation for going to school is not making money, right? I mean, what's his motivation? His motivation, he wants to help people, right? He wants to he wants to be able to heal people from their ailments. Now, isn't it so interesting here in the United States that when we hear doctor, what do we automatically think? We think, oh, that guy's going to make a lot of money, right? I mean, that's what we think. That's how we've been kind of trained to think. And it's true. I'm sure he'll make a very good living as a doctor, but that's not why he's doing it. He's doing this specifically because he wants to make the world a better place which is a very different motivation than why most of us get an education. True? I mean, most of us, when we get an education, it's more like this guy from Iran. So this guy's from Iran. I know you didn't get to hear that in the thing, but that's where he's from. And he talks about how his mother passes away when he's two years old. So it's just been him and his dad. And his dad wants him to follow in his footsteps, right? His father's an engineer. And he wants him to go down the same path. But what does he want to do? He wants to do what? You remember? Photography. Right? He wants to follow his passion. And following your passion can be risky, right? Because if you're an engineer, engineers are always needed. You're always going to have a job. You're always going to be able to make a decent living. But as a photographer, I don't know. Some photographers make a lot of money. Others really struggle to get by. And I can relate to this personally because I have a passion for religious history. And there's only so many jobs you can get as a religious studies major. You can be a professor, a pastor, or you're unemployed. Those are your options <laughs> with a religious studies degree. <laughs> but when you have passion, when you love what you do, that changes the equation. Because people respond to passion. So when you can perfect a craft, for me, it's perfecting preaching, being able to communicate the ideas of who God is and why God should be important to you. Or for this young man, it's photography, right? Going out and taking photographs. He can take better and better photographs. When people see that, then they respond to it. It can turn heads. People say, yes, yes, I see what you're doing. And that really is a wonderful thing. Now, again, this is a very different motivation than what compels most people to get an education, right? Most people get an education to get a job. But when your education is fueling your passion, when it's trying to bring something to life, I think that it doesn't have to do with a job. It has to do with you learn this so that you can do something to serve other people. And you can kind of see this in the story from Goth. I love that this guy is amazing, right? Goth Philippi. So Goth, what did he say? He's from the former Yugoslavia. He's a refugee who came over here. And he's working as a janitor at Columbia University. And do you remember what he said? They said that after his shift ended at 11 p.m. every night, what would he go do? He'd go and he'd study for his classes. And 12 years later, he graduates with a degree from Columbia University, an Ivy League institution in classics. Now, 
I love this story because like religious studies, classics is not exactly setting you up for long-term financial stability, okay? Like, we know that to be true. So clearly, the reason why he's studying this is because he loves the subject matter, right? I mean, he loves studying classic literature. Did he go and do this so that he wouldn't have to be a janitor anymore? I, I don't know what his motivation is, but I can tell you a couple of things. One, you have a degree from Columbia University, you do have a lot of job options that open to you. But two, if he was concerned about getting a job, then I don't think he would have studied classics, right? He probably would have studied something else. Instead, he decides he wants to go after the thing that he loves. And he just studies it because he wants to know about it, right? He's studying for the sake of the knowledge. He's learning for the sake of learning. And in my opinion, that is one of the most, it's the purest form of education you can have. When you simply learn to obtain knowledge, it totally shifts the way that you think about the value of learning. And you can see that value in the final story that we looked at. Now, this guy is from Mexico City, and Brandon came across him. And I love this story, right? He starts working in the fields at what age? Five years old. So he doesn't have any access to education. And then when he gets done with the fields, he goes out and starts working construction for 30 years. And then he finally has some time, right? And he decides, you know what, I want to do something positive with myself. I'm going to go to school. And so where does he end up? He ends up in middle school. And how long does it take him to get through middle school? Do you remember? Eight years. Eight years it takes him to get through middle school. And I think that that's really interesting. Like, wh what is he going to get out of that? What's, what's, what's the end goal? When he, if he's in high school now, when he graduates, like at his age, what's, is his job waiting for him? No. The only reward he gets out of that is the knowledge, right? And shouldn't that be reward enough? I mean, why is it that education, the end of it always has to be a job or money in your bank account or, you know, saying I went to some institution? Why can't the end of education simply be, hey, I possess knowledge that I didn't previously possess? Isn't that enough of a reward in and of itself? Isn't that payoff to learn for the sake of learning? What if we told kids, I know this is going to be novel, what if we told kids that knowledge is a treasure? And you're going to school so you can carry that treasure with you for the rest of your life. Now, I know that sounds super idealistic, right? Because why would you do it then, right? People like to have that payoff. But the fact is, even though most people don't look at it that way, that's the way the Bible looks at it. That's how the Bible looks at the acquisition of knowledge. That book of Proverbs that we've been reading from, Proverbs, that's how it starts. It says that human beings... Our purpose in life is to learn wisdom and knowledge and pass it on to the next generation. In fact, the author of Hebrews says that your ability to learn is directly connected to your ability to follow and understand God. Those two things are interlinked. Take a look right here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Do you know who the author of Proverbs is supposed to be? According to tradition, Solomon. Okay, Solomon, the same guy who we read the story about, right? Now, Solomon, he was a man who was known for his great wisdom. And in the story we read, what happens is the Queen of Sheba comes to him because she wants to know, like, is it true what I've heard from you? And she says, yes, it is true. Now, what we don't get to hear from 
is this whole idea of how his wisdom, although it does say it, comes from God, right? His knowledge is wisdom. It comes from God. And what's beautiful about this is that when he's a young king and he's about to get started on his path, God comes to him and says, what gift do you want? And he says, well, I would like wisdom, right? I would like to be able to rule my people well. And so what this shows us, these two scriptures, what they show us is that our minds and our souls, they are interlinked together. And that the way God progresses us through our faith journey is often through the acquisition of knowledge. The mind feeds the soul and vice versa. The mind feeds the soul and vice versa. And here's the thing. This is why I teach so much in my sermons. Because I really believe that by obtaining knowledge, it's going to draw you closer to God. The more you learn, the more you know, the closer your relationship to God is going to be. Now, saying that, I am well aware that there are whole groups of Christians that would disagree with me about that. Okay, There are whole groups of Christians who see education as the foe of the Bible. There are Christians who will sit there and they fear education because education challenges their view of the world. There are Christians who will only learn things that support their point of view. But here is something that I want to throw out to you, and I really believe this to be true, that if your faith cannot withstand learning, even learning that challenges the very foundations of what it is that you believe to be true, then that is not true faith. Because faith is not a fact. Faith cannot be proven. Faith is not black and white, right or wrong. Even though people treat faith that way as though it were factual, it is not. Faith is living in the tension between what can be proven and what is unknown. That is what faith is. Let me give an example of this. So, in Christian churches, we believe that there is a God. I assume everybody in here at least believes in God, right? I mean, as a minimum. So, we believe there's a God. Can that be proven? No, it can't. You cannot prove. You may know in your heart that God exists, but you cannot prove that to be true. And we could be wrong about that, guys. I mean, we believe it, but we could be wrong. And so we have to live in the tension between what we believe to be true, that there's a God, and our knowledge that we learn about the world. And sometimes that knowledge that we learn, it conflicts with our understanding of God. Let me give you a great example of this. Copernicus. So Copernicus, he was a mathematician and this astronomer. And what he does is he starts doing mathematical calculations based on the movement of stars, movement of planets, and he realizes that actually it is the Earth that rotates around the sun as opposed to the sun rotating around the earth, which is what was believed for a long time. That's actually in the Bible. The Bible says that the earth is the center of the universe. And this makes sense because if you're an ancient person, think about it for a second, you're an ancient person, you're looking up at the sky, what happens? Everything looks like what? It's rotating around us, doesn't it? The stars, the moon, the sun. So if you don't know anything about math, you haven't been able to do the calculations, you wouldn't know that. But Copernicus figures that out. By the way, funny thing, Copernicus, he did not tell the church this while he was alive because he knew the church would not be super happy to figure this out. So he publishes this after his death, and the church, of course, loses it over it. 
But here's the thing. Now that you know the earth rotates around the sun, which we all take for granted today, right? Does that mean you have to abandon the Bible? No, not at all. You don't have to choose one or the other. You take that knowledge, right, that the earth rotates around the sun. You say, well, the Bible was wrong about that one. We set it aside. Now, why is this important? Because that knowledge that the earth rotates around the sun, that comes from God, my friends. That comes from God. The more that you learn about the world, the more knowledge you acquire about the world, the closer your connection to God, because you come to learn about the mind and being of God through that knowledge. I mean, think about it for a second. We, we often look at the Bible and we say, this is the only place that you can really know about who God is. But you have the whole world. Is God not responsible for everything you see around you? All right, so the more you know about that, the more you come to know about the mind and the being of God. And I think that that's beautiful. And this is why I love these stories from Humans of New York so much. Because these particular stories are about people who are trying to be lifelong learners. And even if they have to take breaks, like their whole life, and then they come back to it, they do it. And that's what we need to do. And so my prayer for you today is that you might see knowledge as a tool that draws you closer to God. I hope that rather than seeing education as a means to gainful employment, that you would see knowledge truly as something that can change your life, that can draw you closer to God. Because that's the beauty of it all right there. If we look at knowledge as a treasure and we start learning for the sake of learning, not only do you come to understand more about the world around you, but you come to have a much deeper faith, a faith that is willing to live in the tension between what it can be proven and what is unknown. And in my opinion, I think that that way of being, going right down that fine line, it allows you to understand the beauty, the grace, and the mystery of the Christian faith. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.com Org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez family of faith.